going to chapter 2, and if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Uh, it's found in your bulletin, and it'll be up on the screen as well. We're in a series in Jonah, and really, in many ways, it is serving as a vision series to prepare our hearts more and more for the vision that is New Valley, and really for all Christians, our calling to have hearts for people. I'm going to read from, from Jonah 2. Let us, as we listen to this and as we study Jonah, our, our hearts be tilled up like soil that, that could be fertile for God. May God break the hard parts of our heart and just make it soft for him and, and who he is and his compassion for people, even people like us. Let's turn to Jonah chapter 2, and we'll start actually in verse 17 of chapter 1. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. And all of your waves and all of your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple." The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. When New Valley uh, first opens its doors uh, several years ago and was a brand new church, we were so excited and thrilled to after all these months of anticipation and weeks and days praying together as a group and, and strategizing, we had placed door hangers on homes all throughout, like Ahwatukee and Chandler and Tempe. We had uh, paid for, for, bullet, you know, for these advertisements to be sent in mailboxes, and we had prayed and prayed and prayed that people that we had never met as a team would show up and find our community. And you never know what's going to happen, to be honest, with, with mailers and door hangers and personal invitations. You just don't know if anyone's even going to show up. But it, it was sort of a, a wild moment to stand there at the door greeting people and just line upon line of people we had never met show up. There was a young lady, uh, a young single mom who walked in that first day, and I'm going to call her Cindy, even though that's not actually her name. And she walked in, a young single lady, and, and she sat there the first couple Sundays that we had church, and she finally, after the second Sunday or maybe the third, came up and spoke to my wife and me, and she explained that she'd really been through a hard time. And the more we got to know her and know her story, we couldn't believe that we had found her and that she had found us and that she'd made her way to New Valley. Because when she was a very young woman, about college age, she got involved in what I consider a cult. 
it had a Christian name on the door. It, it said all the right things and looked all the right ways from the outside. But as she got into that church, it was so controlling and manipulative. And they would describe what they were doing as discipleship and, and just trying to help you grow in your faith. But they were incredibly controlling. For example, they would tell you who you could marry and, who, and tell you you could not marry that person. You had to marry this person. And so they selected a, a husband for her who she frankly did not want to marry. But the pastor, imagine your pastor and your leader is pointing to you and saying, like, you need to marry this person. And so she did, but he was abusive physically, emotionally, and the church was ab abusive spiritually and, and left her in this horrible place. They had a daughter together, a beautiful daughter, and that was about the only beautiful fruit that came out of this. But that led to divorce because he abandoned her after abusing her and he had an affair on her and left her. And the church basically abandoned her and her vulnerability. So it had been years since she had gone to a church. And to make it worse, in her, her abandonment and her abuse and all the stuff she had been through, she was tempted and had no means to make money for she and her young daughter. And so she became a prostitute and had spent a couple years living that life. And she came to our church and she was vulnerable with her story. And I was thinking about her just the other day, and I was thinking how difficult it must have been for her after being in a cult where she was literally spiritually and emotionally abused and manipulated like that. What got her to say, I'm going to try to come to this church? How long did she have to look at this mailer that was on her door? How long did she have to say, am I willing to risk it, right? Am I willing to go back to a place, maybe risk being hurt again, let down again? Will they reject me? Will they judge me? Will they open their doors to me? Will they be controlling and weird? She, frankly, did not know good theology or the Bible or well enough to know, like, is this a healthy place or an unhealthy place? And here she came into our doors, and I was never more proud of New Valley at that moment, even though we were a brand new church, to see a person like her loved and welcomed, and she was. And she remained at New Valley several years before she and her beautiful daughter moved to another state. Friends, it is a heart of compassion that we must have. And today I'm kind of fired up. I'm going to maybe seem like I'm even angry a little bit. I, I think in first service I felt like I'm yelling at these people and what's wrong with me? I'm trying to express grace. But I want to paint a picture of the vision that we have for New Valley. And it's the same vision we've always had, but frankly, if you want to remain consistent in the vision, you have to keep painting the fence white. If you want a white fence, you have to keep painting it, right, over and over again. You have to keep casting vision. And so I want to keep casting this vision that New Valley has always been trying to be a place where people like Cindy could show up, somebody that is lost and leased and broken under the, her own actions and the actions of others, that they could come and sit in a chair right here and be welcomed and could grow in the gospel and hear the good news of Jesus and have their life changed. So someone like her, welcome, but also opening our doors to somebody that's mature in Christ, walking with Jesus a whole lot in their life, could also come to this place, and both of those same people walk away and go, I found love and acceptance here, but I was also challenged by the scriptures and the gospel, and I'm finding myself growing more and more here. That's been our vision, that no matter where you are, least and lost, religious, been walking with God, whatever, that you would find a place here, a welcome, an embrace, and you would be challenged when you hear the gospel to grow more and more as you take steps to follow Jesus. Now, I want us to see this morning, this is our main point from Jonah, we'll get there eventually, to have God's heart of compassion for people 
we must, we must continually remember God's mercy and compassion for us. Jonah had forgotten that he was a rebel, that he was lost, that he was a sinner, that he needed God's grace, and he was filled with self-righteousness. He could point to their sin, and he was good at that, and he would be judgmental towards other people, but he had forgotten how much he desperately needed God himself. The story of Jonah, it's interesting. We read about it. You know, it's like all we think about when we think of Jonah is like Sunday school and flannel graphs, and we only can think about the whale, right? Because that is an amazing part of the story. A guy got swallowed by a fish, and he lived there for three days. Can't explain it. No scientific explanation. It's just a miracle, okay? God did it. On the other hand, that's not the main point of the story. The main point of the story is God's great compassion for people who are far from him, and it's a great warning about people like us, church people, of how cold and hard-hearted we can become if we're not careful. The whale's not the main point. It's a story about literally the worst missionary in the world in comparison and contrast to the greatest missionary in the world, which is God himself. Jonah is the worst missionary I've ever heard of, and it's in contrast to the Lord, who is the whole reason why mission exists, because of his grace and his mercy and his kindness. In chapter 1, last week, we learned that God's word came to Jonah to go to preach to Nineveh. Because of his hatred for the Assyrian people, which is what Nineveh is, it's a city in Assyria, he ran in the opposite direction. God said, go to Nineveh, that great city, and instead, he got on a, you know, and that's in modern-day Iraq, Iraq, and instead, he got on a boat headed for modern-day Spain. He hates the Assyrians, they are the enemies of Israel, And he's doing everything in his power to keep people from Assyria to coming to faith in God. He's the worst missionary in the history of mission. Do you agree with me? I mean, this guy's horrible. So he runs from God. He runs from God's plan. And he's doing everything to keep Assyrians from coming to know God. But when he gets on this boat headed for Spain, guess what the boat is filled with? Sailors from where? Assyria. The Lord then hurls a great storm against the boat. The sailors call out to their false god, their vain idols. Uh, Nothing is said or spoken, of course. So they start casting lots. It's like rolling dice. And all the evidence points that the problem is Jonah. They go to him and say, who are you? Where are you from? He says, I'm a prophet of Israel. I believe in the Lord God who made the whole universe. He's the God of the land and the sea. And by the way, I'm running away from him. And they're like, well, you're really stupid because he made the land and the sea and you're in a boat that's in the sea. So like, you're in trouble. He told them, just throw me overboard. God will kill me and get this over with. And instead, they, the enemies of Israel, have compassion on this horrible person. And they say, no, we're gonna do everything we can to get you to shore. They start throwing all of their gear over the boat, rowing towards shore, trying to get there, but they're not able to because of how great the storm is. Eventually, they throw Jonah over the sea comes, and then they have a worship service, and these people that he hates, that he's doing everything to keep from coming to know God, they repent, they have church, they believe in God. If we were there, we would baptize them. It was this revival, and Jonah's angry. 
We turn to chapter two this morning, and it's from the perspective of Jonah. He's speaking first person. The rest of the book of Jonah is talking about Jonah. Chapter two is speaking from Jonah. I think it's a psalm that he wrote much later when God eventually brought him to repentance. Because as you see in the book of Jonah, you see no hint of Jonah repenting whatsoever at all. You just see a hard-hearted, angry man in Jonah 1, 3, and 4. In Jonah 2, verses 1 through 2, it says this, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah prayed to the Lord out of his distress. He's distressed. I imagine so. He's angry. He's angry at God. He hates these people. He's in the middle of a a huge storm. He's been thrown overboard, and now he's been swallowed by a fish. (laughs) There's no clean water. There's nothing to eat. And can you imagine the smell of being inside of a fish? There is no light. There's seemingly no hope. And he says he's crying from the belly of Sheol, which in the Old Testament is what? Hell. He feels as if he's cut off from God. He feels as if he's in hell itself. In Jonah 2.3, it says this, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows crashed and passed over me. He isn't in the sea. Instead, he's in the fish that's in the sea, but he is cut off. He's feeling as if all of life is flooded over him and the billows are passing over him. I can't but help but think of Houston as I read this and how people are feeling cut off from God's light, maybe distressed, of course. And in moments like these, we do feel cut off from God, feel accursed, and there are often long seasons when we feel as if God is silent. There's no light, there's no hope, there's no voice from God, there's no answered prayer. Perhaps you can relate. And it's amazing in life how there's like themes. Like, you know, some, some years I look back and I just think, man, that year was amazing. And you get to the end of a year and celebrate New Year's Eve, and you're like, that last year was just incredible. It was filled with blessing. But I gotta tell you, 2017, for the Brown family, my name's Scott Brown, you know, if you're new, nice to meet you. 2017 has been horrible. It's been awful for us. And, and maybe it's been awful for you, but it's been a year of distress for us. Um, my father-in-law, my wife's father, Becky, passed away in March. He'd been sick, and we knew he probably wouldn't live that long, but he died, and even though it was unexpected, it was so difficult. And my mom's, my mother-in-law has Alzheimer's and dementia, and then we found out this past Wednesday um, that she has a very advanced form of cancer and that it spread to most of her vital organs. And so she's suffering dementia. She, she doesn't even kind of know where she, what's happening day to day, and now she's suffering great pain. And we cry out in distress. And there's a lot more going on that I'm not even gonna get into in our life this year, but I tell you this, In spite of that reality, this is a pivotal moment for Jonah as he sits in the belly of a whale. And when you're in distress and you're crying out to God, you have a moment that's a pivotal moment, and it's it's this. Whether in your your darkness, when it feels as if there's no light, and to be honest, at many times throughout this year of 2017, it felt as if our prayers were hitting the ceiling of a whale and not getting anywhere. But now that we're further into 2017, we're now into September, it's hard to believe, and we have passed through many storms and are still passing through a storm as a family, I will say this, and I'll say this for me, and I think my whole family would agree, 
I would not have chosen to pass this test as difficult as it has been because in the middle of the distress, God has been more near than I've experienced in a long, long time. In spite of the pain, in spite of the death, in spite of the difficulty we're facing personally, God's presence and his power and his, the, the realness of him has been so tangible and we've seen so many prayers answered that I would not pass this by. I could never ask for it either. Hey, 2018, keep doing it. Keep, you know, Lord, please. No, you're not going to hear me say that. However, God meets us in distress and it's a pivotal moment when you're brokenhearted. When you feel as if your life is literally coming unglued and falling apart, it is a pivotal moment. Will you cry out to the Lord or will you give in to the darkness and the bitterness? We, we keep going. He says in Jonah 2.4, verse, uh, the, the beginning of verse 4, I'm driven away from your sight. Now what's interesting about Jonah, I'm driven away from your sight, this is exactly what Jonah was seeking. Do you remember? I want to flee the sight of the Lord. I don't want him looking at me. I don't want to do his will. I don't want to follow him. And he, he says, go here, I'm going to go there. The Lord allowed him to experience for this moment sort of exactly what he was seeking I don't want to be in the presence of the Lord. And so the Lord said, all right, I'm going to let you experience what that's like. And for Jonah, it's hell. And to be cut off from the Lord for anyone is literally hell. No light. Cut off from the presence of God. Cut off from what feels like hope. And he's living what feels like hell. He says, I'll do the opposite. I'll flee from your presence. I will run. And it's interesting to me that even children of God can experience this. And at times in our running, the Lord will stop us. Have you noticed there have been times where you want to run from God, you want to rebel against God, and the Lord just stops you and doesn't allow it, keeps you from going there. But at other times, the Lord will let you run. And the Lord will let you get far away. And the Lord will even let you experience consequences for your actions. It says in Hebrews 12, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons and daughters? My son, do not regard lightly the, dis the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son and daughter whom he receives. He may let you run for a season. He may let you even feel the distance for a season, but he does so for our discipline, for our care. You're his son, you're his daughter. He will not let you run too far. In Jonah 8, or excuse me, verse 8, he, he says something that's very interesting as well. He says this, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those who bow to idols, those who look to false gods, they are idolaters. They have vain hope, and he's right. But at this state of his life, all he can think about is the idolaters as the Assyrians. He's thinking of literal, literal idolatry because that's what they were. They literally would bow down to false idols and statues and so forth. Jonah is very good at pointing the finger and saying, they are idolaters, and yet he is at this moment failing to understand, failing to embrace and see that he too is an idolater. What is an idol? An idol is anything you love more than you love God. 
anything that becomes more important to you than, than God is important to you. And this is exactly what has happened to Jonah. Our idols are those things we look to to get something that really only God can give you. You take a good thing in life, like patriotism, which Jonah had, and then you elevate it to an ultimate thing, which he did, which is nationalism, and saying, we're the best, we're the only ones that God loves. You take a good thing, you elevate it to an ultimate thing, and you look to it to get something that, frankly, only God can give you. And it becomes an idol. And Jonah is blind as he's pointing an accusatory finger at these other people, you Assyrians, you believers in false idols, it's vain, and you're bad people. And he fails to see that he himself is an idolater. The sad reality is, Jonah's a believer. He's a pastor. He's the son of a pastor. He even gets a book of the Bible named after him. I mean, this guy is a believer, and yet his heart, like our hearts, is given over to idolatry, but he doesn't yet repent of it. He doesn't yet understand it or see it. What is Jonah's idol? It's his love of his country, and he's elevated it to a level that's become evil for him. Jonah wanted Nineveh to pay for their sins more than he wanted God in his life. That's the reality. What do you want so much that you would rather have it than have God in your life? What do you want so much? What have you elevated so much that you'd say, I'd rather have that. I'd rather have those people die than have obedience to the Lord. I would rather run in the opposite direction of what God is saying. I'll flee him, run from him. I, this is literally how bad it's gotten for Jonah. I would rather my enemies suffer and die. I want that so bad, I will choose that even over having God in my life. What in your life has gotten so elevated? You need it so much that you would replace it even with the living God. Friends, we all do this. Every one of us. I think it's our number one problem. We all, the best believer among us, the most spiritually mature believer in this room right this minute, still has competing gods, things that you look to, things that at times, if you're honest, you love more than even the living God. And what we're meant to do when we see that is to do what Martin Luther said that all of our life should be about, which is repentance and faith. And in that moment, rather than just living in shame, say, I see that idolatry, I see that I've elevated something more than I love God, and repent of it and say, that's false worship. You're God, rejected, that's not the living God. My family, even the best thing that God has given me, my sons, my wife, my in-laws, these things are good gifts from God, but they can't be my God. You tracking with me? Your work is a good gift from God, but if it becomes your ultimate thing, it'll let you down. You, you can't get what you need from work. Only God can give you what you ultimately need. You can't get from romance what you think you need. It's only that intimacy can come from the Lord. It's a good gift from God. Marriage is a good gift from God, but God alone can give us what we ultimately need and yet we elevate things, and we need to turn and repent, and above all, that should make us humble towards outsiders, those who are least and lost and are so far from God, because the truth is, even as believers, even as the most spiritually mature among us, when it gets down to a base level, we're not much different. And if it weren't for the grace of God to you and his steadfast mercy, you would have no hope. 
And Jonah had forgotten that. Jonah had forgotten that, become a very hard-hearted person. Now, I've got such good news for you. Even Jonah got to the place where he said in verse 9, salvation comes from the Lord. And even he in verse 5 said, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord. Even his hard heart started to turn later. I believe that God changed him. I don't think we would have the book of Jonah if Jonah had not gotten to a place of repentance, right? We know his story because he went out and eventually started talking about how bad he was and how much he had repented. I believe that. Salvation is available for all of us, all of us runners, rebels, and idol worshipers, because God is merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And New Valley, I've got great news for you this morning. I've got amazing news for you. You ready for it? You ready? You are far more sinful than you ever knew. The more you study the Bible, the more you look into God's holiness, the more you peer into who he is, I've got amazing news for you. You are far worse than you know you are. You're an idolater. (laughs) And so am I. But the good news is this. You can cheer up in spite of the fact that you are an idolater and your problem is far worse than you know that in Jesus Christ, you are more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope. It's true. In Jesus, you're forgiven. What we just told James as he had the water flowing down his head, you're forgiven in Christ. The blood of Christ has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. The greatest unrighteousness in our heart is false idolatry. It's it's looking to other things as God that are not God. It's worse than you know. But friends, as we embrace that reality that we're more sinful than we ever realized and yet simultaneously more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope could be true, When that becomes true of you, both those things, simultaneously, I am lost and I am a broken sinner, but who is loved and accepted because of Jesus. When that becomes your reality, guess what you become? Guess what you become? A compassionate person, filled with hope with other people, people who open wide the doors of a church and say, people like Cindy, come in. Even if you've been abused and broken and and giving yourself over to prostitution, whatever your brokenness and shame and idolatry is, welcome because you'll find company here because we are rebels and runners and and people who are far from God and if it weren't for his mercy and his grace, we would be as lost as anybody. Amen? That's the vision of New Valley, friends. And it really is just the vision of the body of Christ around the world. It's every church that wants to be faithful to Jesus. It's We have nothing really to give people other than Jesus. Jesus came saying, you know, I've got nothing to give the righteous. Only the sick do I have something to give to. And here's the reality. There are no righteous people, but there's a bunch of people that think they are. We're all broken. We're all needy. We're all sinful. We're all unhealthy. But Jesus is the great physician. And he not only forgives us, he gives us newness of life. And he does change you from the inside. He makes us sons and daughters. We become more like him, but it's all grace. It's all because of grace. Any holiness in us is all because of grace. And so friends, as we prepare our hearts, as we do the work of tilling the soil of our hearts, it's in preparation of moving a few miles away, but it's really in my mind to replant the vision that's always been for New Valley to say this. We want to open our doors. 
whether that's opening our homes and saying, hey, small group, come in, whether it's serving on a team, whether it's doing ministry in the city together, whether it's interacting with other Christians at other churches, we open wide our doors saying, come. Every rebel, every runner, everyone who's far from God, you come because we're just like you. Let us tell you about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, would you do the work in our hearts to make us humble, humble towards you? Lord, we admit that we are Jonah far too often. We are self-righteous far too often. We turn on the news at times and we believe we're better than people. We meet people in our day-to-day and we think, I'm, I am better. Thank God I'm not a sinner like them. But Father, make us humble. Help us to realize that like Jonah, we often are cold-hearted towards the needs of this world. And I just pray, Father, for New Valley. I pray for us. I pray for churches around our great city that we would be, have hearts of compassion, united together, on mission together as the church of your body here in, in Phoenix, Lord, loving each other, supporting one another, and opening our doors to say, come, come in. May people find good news. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.